us more. It's about time because we're going there. Okay, friends, get ready because we are going to have a conversation about love. Yes, I am so excited as we head into the month of February and conversations happening around love. Why not have a conversation centered around unconventional and yes, unconditional love? On the show today, we get to have an amazing conversation based on a documentary I saw not too long ago. In fact, the Academy Award nominated documentary Time introduced these two people, Fox and Rob Richardson, and they captivated not only my heart, but audiences with their relentless fight for each other and justice, despite America's broken prison system. In our conversation together, we get to have a conversation wrapped around their riveting story, including the faith that sustained them and the miracles that brought them back together, even in the midst of trying to have that love broken through divorce. Y'all, it's a doozy. I'm so excited. There was 21 years that kept Rob separated from his wife, but Fox remained faithful by his side during his entire incarceration. As Rob survived two decades in America's bloodiest penitentiary, it was Fox who raised their kids solo and never stopped fighting for Rob's freedom and their futures against the statistical odds. My heart is that you open up your heart to have an honest conversation and take a look at unconventional and unconditional love. You guys, I am honored and privileged to sit with amazing giants of faith, and I'm excited to be able to peek into your story. I know that in the introduction, we were able to talk a little bit about how we ended up here right now, but I want to kind of take us way back. Uh, You guys have a beautiful story of love, and I want to talk about kind of like the genesis of your love. How did you guys meet? What was it that drew you guys together? I read an article saying that you guys met in high school. So you guys are high school sweethearts, which is so fun. Um, Can you take us a little bit behind the scenes of how you all met and what was it that drew you guys to each other? Uh, 1987 is the year uh, when it all happened. It was the day that I knocked on Fox's door to give a ride to both her and uh, and a mutual friend of ours. I fell in love with her immediately. And I probably spent the uh, the next two, maybe 48 hours trying to convince her that she was equally in love with me. <laughs> we dated on and off again, probably for about 10 years. And then I finally uh, asked her to marry me. She said, yes, we eloped, went to a chapel in Kissimmee, St. Cloud, Florida to consummate our marriage. We bungee jumped and... Um, <laughs> Wow. Started our new life together. Yeah, right? (laughs) I love it. I love it. By the time he finally asked me to marry him, Rob had asked me once when I was 17 years old and was having some troubles at home. He was in the Navy and he was like, will you marry me? Um, You can come and live with me in Scotland. I'm like, boy, I've got to finish high school. (laughs) So I'm going to have to tough this out and then I've got to go to college. So I will talk to you in a moment. And, uh, and never again did he ask me until 10 years later and three children later. Then he says, okay. And when he asked that time, you can rest assured, Bianca, I did not hesitate. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> we're doing it right now. We're doing it yesterday. Like, get yeah. the keys. Right, right. We're going to go. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And six months later, we were facing our criminal charges. And I guess our story takes off from there. Okay, this is the perfect segue. Really quick before we move on, how long have you guys been married? 25 25 years. years. First of all, congratulations. We get to stand and see such a beautiful story of uh, redemption. But I mean, you were just about to dive into kind of like a pivot point that happened within your guys' relationship. Can you take us a little bit back and what happened? How did you all end up in jail? 
well, you know, for Rob and I, we were like at the apex of it all. It's like you, when you finally think you've gotten your life together, everything is on track and moving in the way that you think God will have you move. And that's when the devil gets busy, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so in the midst of working to achieve our dreams, what we thought was building a better life for us and our family, immediately after we got married, we bought our first family's home. We opened our first family's business. And maybe in a couple of weeks, it went from being the um, the dream home to being the nightmare home. We found out the foundation was cracked. The, the roof had a tremendous leak in it. So it was pouring rain into the kitchen. A couple of weeks after that, the investor that we had for our business pulled out on us. Then we discovered that the three main, what do you say, the rules of business, we had violated them, which totally. is location, location, location. We had opened our business in an industrial complex and our place was a, um, a clothing store. Mm-hmm. And then to, if that wasn't enough, as Murphy's Law would have it, our youngest son, our baby boy, started having these unexplained seizures and required medical treatment and the doctors couldn't find out what was wrong with them. So we went from heaven on earth to the pits of a living hell mm. uh, within a matter of six months. And in our hopes of regaining financial solvency of what we thought, if we could just save our family, then everything else will go, is going to be all right. If we can just get the money we need, then then we will be able to make it from here. And that was such a farce because after that day, that dreadful day, September 16, 1997, when we made that choice that landed us to ultimately facing 200 97 years in prison, it was in that moment that we discovered, girl, we could never get it all. We had it all already. We had each other. Mm-hmm. We had love. We had our family that you can't get anything more than that. Everything right. else is just the cherry on top. So I know that you guys had different incarceration time lengths. So Fox, you were incarcerated for three and a half years, correct? I had two seven-year sentences and one five-year sentence run together. <sighs> oh my God. Those who are avid listeners to the podcast, they are very familiar with my work inside of jails and prison. But take us in that experience for you. I mean, you are a mom. You are separated from your husband. You're separated from your kids. You're separated from your family. In a nutshell, what was that experience like for you doing life completely alone? Um, You find your connection to God real soon. One Mm. of the things is one thing to walk on your mother's faith. It is another thing to walk on your your grandmother's faith. But it's a whole nother thing when you have to be still and get to know God yourself. Mm -hmm. And so when you were doing the introduction and you said these giants, I'm like, giants and what? We're just small people. (laughs) And then you said giants of faith. I was like, oh, yeah, Bianca, you got us, baby. (laughs) Because you nailed it. <laughs> okay, so in this process of you being incarcerated, I, I mean, just inquiring minds want to know, and as much as I researched, I couldn't really find out. You you are, I call you a giant of faith because of this thing that I've read and, the, and what you've overcome and how God has moved in your life. But during that time of incarceration, were you walking with the Lord or is that kind of like your pivot point of Jesus God be real to you? Oh, mm-hmm. no, that is the only way I can make it through this is to deepen the faith I already had. Um, Rob and I were both raised in the church. And interestingly enough, the pastor that he had as a young adult came to my church for a better job. So we ended up having the same pastor, knowing the same church songs the whole night. Mm-hmm. So it was that, that base level of faith that was able to even carry us through when you're sitting at a table with an attorney and they say that, do you guys know how much trouble you're in? And then they say, you know, we look at each other dumbfounded. And he responds, you all are facing 297 years. 
Your perspective of being incarcerated is very different from Rob's. So what was it that got you back on track in the middle of this incarceration? What was your time like in there that we spoke about this pivot moment, but while you're there, you had a lot of time in isolation to process and think, what was it that made you kind of analyze your life and who you want to be when you get back out? I think that that actually happened for us before we ever went in. Um, it was a sombering moment when you yeah. make a decision like that. Some people, it may take some time to figure it out. Some people need a year. Some, But for us, because this was so far out of the realm of who we were and how we were raised, it was instantaneous for me. When I, I came to my senses, they say that there's a such thing as temporary insanity. And I did not really think that that was such a thing until that day. After we committed that offense, it was like an immediate awakening. Like, what in the, who was this person that took over me? I would never do something like this. This is beneath me. Um, but it is in those moments we also get to see how low we can go. Mm. And it is only in those moments that we can really see how high God can take us. Amen. Amen. Now, Rob, your story is a little bit different because you had a longer prison sentence and listed as one of America's bloodiest penitentiaries. What was your experience like on the inside? Oh, God. Um, I would have to say that my experience was probably similar to many of the characters that you hear tell in the, um, in the Bible. Mm. It's um, a lonely place. It's a place of drudgery. It's a place of uh, broken spirits, but it's also a place that you get uh, reconnected to your God source. For Fox and I both, the easing away from uh, from your faith or the things that you have been brought up on is one thing. But this was not uh, an act of apostasy. It was not a total turning away from the things that you uh, that you were brought up on, the things that you were reared in. It's just that at times when things are not necessarily moving fast enough for you, when success is not necessarily coming uh, as quickly as you would like, you have a tendency to move away from God's steady pace to trying to create your own. And it's in that moment where your ego steps in. And uh, Fox and I like to call it when you ease God out. And God has a way of Mm. kind of letting you go ahead and do it because we all have free will. So if you think you can be God, and if you think that you can control the tempo of how things are going, then God has a way of showing you that, uh, all right, well, let's see how that works. So, uh, <laughs> but for me, you know, uh, prison was a learning moment for me uh, in a lot of ways, because uh, one of the things that I learned is that God has this way of when we are in struggle, when we are in uh, our lowest points in our life, when we are in the darkest spaces of our life, it is there that God goes to work. You know, when you're doing really good and things and you're riding high and all of that, there's really no place for God in that in that moment to really just show off. But in the moments when we are really up against the wall, when we are at the bottom of the barrel, it is there that miracles are formed. It took patience on my part to get to the point of where God was, but a willing soul nonetheless. I realized all of what God was made of in those moments because he carried me through. So... Fox, you are released and you guys make a decision about your marriage, your relationship. Um, Fox, when you were released, what did it look like in this decision of marriage, continuing marriage while Rob was incarcerated? At that time for me, it was released to go get Rob out. You know, it was about restoring my family. True enough, we had made, we had transgressed against society. No doubt about it. We were always willing to accept responsibility for those transgressions. But the harm that the system caused on us 
was really grave and grave injustice. And so for me, it was about saying that we were more than the worst thing that we have ever done. And so I will not, despite what the state of Louisiana says, despite that the DA said that he sent my husband to Angola to die, I am not giving up on my family and that we are going to be restored. And so when you say that we are giants in faith, yes, it takes a lot of faith to believe for 21 years that God is going to stay true to his word and deliver you from your mm. from your sin. I have chills as you say that. So I don't know why you were taken back when I said giants of the faith, because for 21 years, and people over here crying after praying for a week that God didn't send them a husband. Stop, stop. Mm -mm. I'm going to send them to you. And look, I have to say, when you said giants, I paused like, giants of what? Giants of what? But when you said faith, oh, I own that, baby. I own that. I have earned it. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Okay, so Rob, uh, what support did you have? Clearly, you know, you had your amazing wife that was supporting you, but did you have support during the moments of incarceration from anyone else? Did you feel supported? What was that journey like in hearing that she was out, knowing that she was fighting for you? Did you have any other advocates for you besides Fox? No. The um, help that I got in my matter probably came probably about two thirds of the way into the uh, into the Senate. Whoa. Prior to that, much like Joseph in the Bible, my family had pretty much abandoned me. I mean, it was, you know, just unbelievable when you think, you know, that people can walk away from you in a moment like that. Mm. Uh, but probably the uh, separate and apart from Fox and my children, the only other support system that I had was probably the other men that I got to know while I was incarcerated. Those particular mm. groups of men that, you know, formed uh, these sales or networks mm -hmm. of people that were uh, committed our uh, reform, rehabilitation, transformation, and then re-entry. So I created a family uh, among uh, among the men that um that I got to know while I was incarcerated. That's so beautiful. I read in an article. I shouldn't have written it, the quote down, but Fox, you had said something about unjust sentences being similar to lynching. Uh, in our American history. Can you unpack that? Because it was so poignant. And as I read how you broke it down, I was like, if if this is not completely spot on, I don't know what is. But can you can you share that here? Because there is a huge, for people that don't know, there's a huge separation when someone is incarcerated. And yes, of course, the physical separation, but there is a mindset and a mind shift that happens. Can you unpack that word picture that you had mentioned? I think it was in the Time article. For us, it was about, you know, they used to lynch Black people if they thought that we transgressed, that mobs would come. And, the, and you know, just recently, maybe last year or year before, we just passed an anti-lynching law. But now instead of lynching people from the trees, judges are lynching Black men and women through time, uh, every day. Um, we had a judge here in Baton Rouge, just to give you an example of how extreme it is. You know, with the three strikes law, this gentleman had two prior felony convictions for um, menial theft, nothing over $500. And his third conviction, the judge sentenced him to 50 years That's in prison. Name. It's in Baton Rouge, so it's a uh, case that you can look up. But then he had the mitigating gall to say to that human being that God created that you better be glad it wasn't a king-size Snicker bar that you stole or I'd give you life. Oh, my my husband and I, we, robbing, we right? took $5,000 from the bank. We got all of the money back. Nobody received medical treatment for our instance. They sentenced him to 60 years in prison 
a practical life sentence for removing $5,000 from an institution. And yes, Bianca, I know your listeners would want to know Rob did have a weapon. His nephew, however, did not have a weapon, and they gave him 45 years as a first offender at 20 years old. Um, so it's just a matter of saying that I know we have to pay a price for when we transgress against society. But how much are we really paying or are required to pay is a good question for me. Yeah. I mean, you are asking questions that no one is asking. And I think when we talk about incarceration, it's very black and white. But I'm I'm okay with wrestling through the gray. And I love that you guys are living proof of transformation and redemption. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but your nephew is still incarcerated, correct? No. No. God is good. And God is real. Wait, what happened? What? Oh, oh, wait. See, oh, time out. What? When did this happen? And our commitment was always, I'm going to get Rob home. And then when Rob comes home, he will help to get Ontario home. Okay. Always our word from day one, and we gave our word to Ontario's parents, who was Rob's sister that raised him and her husband. Mm. And so when Rob came home, an issue we had been working on that we thought would be Rob's way home, we continued to work on. And in 2021, last year, we got a change in law, uh, interpretation of law corrected which allowed him to have an opportunity for parole. February, he went up for parole. And in June, we brought him home to his family, his three children, and his two grandchildren. Oh, look at God. I've got chill bumps everywhere. I'm sorry, Rob. Go ahead. I just, I'm I'm losing my mind. Wait, go ahead. Go ahead. You were point on when you said look at God, because not only was it Ontario that was able to get that opportunity, but the opportunity once the correction in law was made from an argument that we put together. It gave an opportunity to more than 3,000 families. Now have a chance of parole that had sentences of 30 years or more. Oh, I have chills. I have chills. I got a lump in my throat and chills all over. Oh, this that's that's a that's a God did it testimony. I mean, yes. literally. It is yes, for freedom that we have been set free, honey. Giants of faith. Oh, I love it. Okay, before we transition to kind of like where we are right now, because there's been some hiccups and bumps along in your relationship, but really what I'm saying in all of this is such an agape, such an unconditional love. Um, first and foremost, agape and our concept of agape love comes from God. And so, Rob, were you involved with any ministry or churches within prison? Yes, actually, while I was in prison, they have a program through the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary where they have a extension center that they brought into the prison of Angola where they allowed men to get both their two-year and four-year degrees in Christian ministry and pastoral counseling. So I was able to take uh, advantage of the education that they were offering through this program. And Bianca, when I tell you that there were times that Fox and I were struggling, as you may mention about hiccups, hiccups is an understatement in terms of what we were experiencing during those times. I mean, it's one thing for a married couple to endure whatever challenges that they, you know, that they may have amongst one another, but incarceration is a whole different animal to place before two people. But it was through many of those uh, those classes and programs. One such class in particular, I sing this one to, uh, to the cows come home. And it was uh, through a marriage and family counseling class that I took. It was uh, a book by the, uh, the author of the book, rather, is uh, Gary Smalley. But the name of the book is Making Love Last Forever. I'm sorry. Making Love Last Forever. But inside of the book, it just really allowed me to unpack a lot of the things 
that we both were dealing with. It allowed us mm -hmm. to be able to work past those things and find our way back to one another. Mm -hmm. Gary, wherever you are in the world, your book works. Uh, we're we're going to cut this snippet and we're going to tag Gary in it so he knows your story 100%. I yes. love this. I love this. Okay, so in doing some research, um, you guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys got divorced for a period, correct? Yes. Okay, so what was the thing that brought y'all back? Was it was it Dr. Gary Smalley or was it We some never left the That's teachings right. that Dr. Gary Smalley had Rob learned through Dr. Smalley's book. He, he never took off his ring. And so you say it, it said best, Bianca, when they said what God has put together, let no man take asunder. Mm. What was put together between Fox and I was God's business. Paperwork in the courts wasn't strong enough to separate us. So when she went down there to file the paperwork, it came back null and void. God said, it's not for you to do. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't have that detail. <gasps> Look at God. See? Look at God. Oh, my. Oh, that's funny. You tried to run, Jonah. <laughs> tried to run. Lord done spit you out in Nineveh. Okay. I love it. I love it. Okay, so for those that are coming out of jail or prison, any form of incarceration, both of you have a very different perspective and a lens and filter because you understand for somebody that is a family member of someone who has served time, what would you what would you say to encourage them in the transition out and reacclimation into society? I think for me, just that with love, all things are possible. Mm. And that you have to understand the trauma that has been endured. It is trauma brought upon the family when we commit offenses that lead to incarceration. Mm. But those people that are incarcerated, they experience a whole nother level of trauma being away from their family, being out of control, being removed from their own rights as a human being. Even being removed from our human dignity when you consider things that we have to go through as incarcerated people, like letting people look in your body cavities at any, on any way. And um, being able to tell you when you can talk to your loved one. When I started my prison sentence at the women's prison, Bianca, the women at the prison, we get um, starting off until you earn an honor status. You got eight phone calls allowed for the month. And those aren't free. Those are phone calls you're going to have to find somebody to pay for. So when you talk about a mother like me who had left behind four children and I only get four phone calls a month and I still got to get someone to pay for those phone calls when I do call, you know, those types of inhumane treatment that has nothing to do with my rehabilitation. You know, it goes beyond being punitive when we do things like that. So I think that we just have to have God's grace our citizens when they are returning home mm. and understanding that they are still children of God and worthy of all of the grace and mercy that we can spare in our home. Mm. Mm -hmm. Rob, anything that you would add or kind of take us to a different level when it comes to second chances? You know, a lot of these listeners maybe aren't in church, plugged into church, or maybe they love Jesus and they're in church every single Sunday, five minutes before, you know, the worship even starts. But the perspective is people make mistakes and you've got to serve your time. And people are very confused sometimes about how Matt and I, my husband and I, are, are so committed to resourcing the incarcerated. Can you talk to me about anything that you see, learn, know, or have studied about the God of second chances and what second chances have done in your life? Mm. Demonstration. Uh, Brother, you went to seminary. I haven't gone to seminary. I love Jesus. Yeah, right. So you, you got to break it down for us right now. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I would, I would have to honestly say, Bianca, 
when you talk about second chances and you talk about uh, being afforded an opportunity, any men and women, when they leave from prison, they have a thing that's called um, survivor's guilt, mm. right? And survivor's guilt is rooted in the thought that you are hopeful that the opportunities that you are now benefiting from, that the people that you left behind would or should have those same opportunities. When I got home, instead of embracing the notion of survivor's guilt, I changed it and I started making mine become survivor's ambition. And that survivor's ambition was about me being a demonstration for many of the other men and women that were hopeful to be in the situation that I was in. I was, I was working to become a shining light, a beacon, an example even for what is possible when people are afforded opportunities at reentry. That is by far um, the biggest piece of that that I would hope is that any man or woman being afforded the opportunity to come home and start over again, that you would think about the people that you left behind who don't have the opportunity that you've been afforded and see it as an opportunity to let your light shine so that others might see your good works and glorify Y'all know the rest. <laughs> oh, you over here preaching. You're about to go to church right now. That seminary degree is showing off right now. Showing up and showing off, brother. Yes. You know, as we as we kind of wind down, I want to just create space and margin for if there's anything that you would like to communicate in regards to our current system and how it's set up or maybe insight or perspective of something that you'd want someone who's not familiar with either going to jail or loving someone who's been in jail you guys had an unconditional love for each other. And uh, I would love for us to have an unconditional love for humanity. Can you give us something that maybe we could hold on to to understand the psyche, the psychology of coming out and how we could love people well? I think for me, um, one of the things that I would say is that I think that this book, Time, the untold story of the love that held us together when incarceration kept us apart, is a roadmap for families struggling, struggling with incarceration. It is insight for those that want to better understand it and what it is that they can do about it. It is a testament to God's power for those who are true believers, um, those that are seeking faith. So I just would ask that your listeners take time out to really read the book and use what God has instilled in us that we are now sharing um, with the world. Additionally, I think that when we talk about wanting to do something differently as a country, to understand or address mass incarceration, the first thing that we've got to do is we've got to look at the 13th Amendment. As long as there is an exception that exists as it pertains to the establishment of slavery in our country, then we can never really be free. We have to remove the exception clause that even makes slavery still possible in today's society. Because then that means that our sisters and brothers that are incarcerated, we can no longer treat them like slaves. But as men and women who have made a mistake, we want to help rehabilitate them and bring them back into our society and then into our fold. I love it. Rob, any thoughts as we kind of close out? Hmm. My closing thought is for anyone that is receiving someone that is in incarcerated or anyone that is been incarcerated themselves that are now being afforded an opportunity, a second chance, third chance, another chance at life is that to both sides, I would say, be patient. It's only through patience that we're able to ease our way back into uh, into uh, the space where we once were. This is a lot to take in. I mean, when you think about the fact that uh, when I went into prison in 1997, 
uh, Windows 95 had just happened two years prior. So by the time I came home, what do you call it? My space had become a thing and then it wasn't no more. Yeah. You know, so I had to be patient with myself in learning how to navigate in the world outside of um, outside of prison mm-hmm. walls. A world now with phone calls were practically attached to you at birth. You know, they be, they're like so much a part of every day of your life, your everyday existence happens with a, with a cell phone. Your bills take place there. You purchase groceries there. You interact with people through it, you know, in the whole nine yards. Again, you just have to be patient with yourself and know that you're right where you are in that moment and be in that moment. I'm so grateful for your story. I saw the documentary on Amazon and now I have the book and I would, I, I loved the documentary, but the book Y'all did such a beautiful job with this story. I think you really put skin and flesh around a topic that might feel very cold and emotionless. And so I can't wait for this book to get into the hands of the readers. As always, when I care about a book, I love pushing the book. And so five very lucky winners will get a copy of this book, um, sharing the podcast online. But as always, there's going to be a link to where you can get this book for our podcast listeners to check it out, to learn more about your story. You guys are two phenomenal giants of the faith. Thank you for your time. It's not lost on me that you could be anywhere doing anything, and yet you've decided to pour into the lives of our listeners. So thank you guys for your time. Appreciate you and keep on loving each other. Kiss, kiss. Kiss, kiss. kiss. Thank you, Bianca. Thank you, Bianca, for having us. Friends, though the interview is over, I'm so excited about a conversation that I got to have post the interview. I found out, friends, get ready for this, that Fox is actually running for the Louisiana State Representative for District 93. I mean, it's the most fancy part of NOLA, New Orleans, Louisiana, y'all. She stands such a great chance at being the state representative, and I am cheering her on, heart, mind, and soul. For more information on Fox and Rob, you can go to foxandrob.com. That's F O X. A-N-D-R-O-B dot com, as well as on social media. Their goal is to put their book, Time, in the hands of the 2.3 million inmates across the United States. I'm standing behind them, and I would love to have them be part of one of TFHOC's newest prison campuses that is starting. It has been such a joy, such an honor, and such a privilege to have such a tight and tender conversation with two people that are amazing. I hope your hearts are open, stirred, and you follow them for more information. Can't wait to chat next week. As always, I love giving away books because readers are leaders. So five lucky winners are going to get a copy of their new book. You can tag them and me at Bianca Oltoff to win your free copy. Believe you me, friends, you won't regret it. See you next week.